Welcome to ABO. I'm supercharged. This guy's just stirring stuff within me, and I just don't even know what to do with myself. Um, God is so, 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 so good. He's so good. I want to talk today about uh, identity, the Christianese verbiage that we're all accustomed to. But I'd like to challenge that this morning. When someone says, um, you know, God loves you, right? You belong to him. You're his child. Those are true facts. Those are biblical, biblical truths, foundations, promises. But I'd like to ask you the question. If after those statements, God loves me, we say, but I know I'm his child. But I know he cares for me. But, and you fill in the blank. Maybe, you, maybe your blank is, I know God loves me, but I lost my job. But my husband or my spouse is reckless with our finances or loose living. Or I know God loves me, but I'm depressed. I know God loves me, but I'm still anxious. I know God has accepted me, but... I still don't have value and I live in rejection because so many people have rejected me. These things, we know internally where we are with this phrase because it's one thing to believe a truth, it's another thing to walk in that truth. We are really good at believing things and not walking them out. And so there becomes this huge disconnection from what, the, from what Jesus expects of us to what our reality is. He gives us freedom and we live in bondage. He gives us love and we're seeking love from other people. He accepts us and we want to be seen so people can receive us and accept us. All the things that Jesus provides, do you and I seek after those things in people? I'm going to give you a solid 20 awkward seconds to think about that. Crazy, huh? crazy when God enters our life our heads should turn into a different direction otherwise we don't need him if we were looking for love from other people then we don't need his love If we're wallowing in our past, then we don't believe that he's taken on our past. If we're seeking people to affirm us, then we're saying, Jesus, you're not enough. And we will amen to Jesus enough all day long, but in life and when life hits, 
We lean into the lie that says, Jesus, you're not enough. I love you, and I know you love me, and I know you're for me, but I need a job. But I need my wife to like me again. But I want a boy, and you gave me a girl. And I think we don't realize that the reason may be that we are so disconnected from the truth that we believe and the truth that we live is that we have not completely transitioned in our identity. We have not fully received his love. We have not received completely the promise that we belong to him, which gives us value. And so the challenge this morning is to revisit this biblical truth of who are you? What is your identity? What is your identity tied to? It's one thing to not know who you are because that gives you a clean slate. But it's another thing to believe a lie about who you are. If your past is a mess and you're not free from it and you continually bring it up and identify with it, it's not that you don't know who you are. You have received a false version of who you are. The old version of who you are. The version that Jesus died to take away. You go fetch it. And put it back on yourself. If Jesus invaded our life and our life has not changed, then Jesus is a liar or we did not receive what he has to offer. We think we've received it because we said the right thing, but it never took root in our heart to change our direction to do things differently. He doesn't want us to do things differently. He wants us to realize who we are. And when we realize who we are, what we do will be different. And many of us, we try to do the different things to become the different person. That's backwards. Because if you are doing something to change who you are, then why did Jesus die for you? In our culture, identity is a huge topic right now. And I'm not going to go into the cultural thing. I think soon we'll do our hashtag series and talk about some of the dicey stuff that our world is, at least Western world in America, is going through. But identity is so big and so central that Satan is doing everything within his power to keep us from walking out into what and into whom we were saved. 
And so it is, it's so much easier to us to seek counseling and talk to people and ask people to pray for you and lay hands on you and have them play your favorite song and get goosebumps than to really deal and be confronted with who in the world am I? Identity is sprinkled all over scripture. When God invades people's lives, he changes their name even. And launches them on a journey that's different from what they've known before. When Jesus encounters people, he changes their identity. Now more specifically, it's not that he just changes it into something else. He's actually redeeming their identity to what God originally wanted... By peeling off all the lies that people or situations or circumstances have tried to latch on and re-identify you. If people don't know who they are by their genitalia, can I say that? Too late. How much deeper is the problem that they're really going through? Okay, I'll leave that for a hashtag. But the reason that identity our identity changes is because of God's grace. He redeems us because he's gracious and through grace. Grace of God is more than the forgiveness of our sin. It is a complete transformation of who we are. And so as soon as we know that Jesus has forgiven us, a lot of times we think that that's it. I'm good. But if you don't know who you are, you're going to go back to what you're familiar with. You're going to relapse to what you knew before. Your old man is going to be pulling you back to what you've come accustomed to. And so understanding our, our identity is the foundation for a life of freedom. And so I want to read Luke 19. Just as an example of Jesus' encounter with an individual person. Who from the looks of it. Knows who he is and everybody else knows who they are. But, but deep down inside, there has to be a transformation if you are bumped up against the son of God. The creator of the universe who knows you inside and out. Jesus entered Jericho. We read in Luke chapter 19 verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus because he was too short to see over the crowd. Shh, don't say nothing. <laughs> so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road for Jesus was passing, uh, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When he, Jesus came by, he looked up at, Zacchae at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Called him by name, says, Zacchaeus, come down quickly. I must be a guest at your house. 
This is not, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm going to tell you what you're doing wrong. Let me change your life. He's not giving him pointers and motivation. He says, I need to come into your dwelling place. Because in the dwelling place of intimacy, change begins to transpire. It's easy for us to do what we're doing here. But how many of us come home and say, coming back to my past. But look at Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus climbed down quickly and took Jesus to his house. I, Jesus is inviting himself to Zacchaeus' house. And yet Zacchaeus has to give him permission to come in. Zacchaeus could have said, no, I will observe from the distance. And maybe by association with your disciples and you, my life can change. But no, Zacchaeus, he, he climbed down quickly and, and with great excitement and joy. But the people, go ahead, you can say the people. Them folks, they were displeased. <laughs> this is so profound to you more than you even realize. If you can eliminate the wrong they from your life, ooh, oh, the freedom that you will taste and experience. And they began to say he was gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. They grumbled. Meanwhile, while people are grumbling, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord. After Jesus comes in, dines. He has asked Zacchaeus to do nothing. He just provided a way for Zacchaeus to invite him in. And after Jesus encounters him, I will give half my wealth. What is this talking about? You guys should give half of your wealth. No, that's not, someone say no. Someone needs some deliverance. All right. What's happening is that Jesus' presence ushers in conviction. Because this is not about, oh, I'm going to quit doing what I'm doing. This is saying, I have wronged people and I'm convicted. I have cheated people on their taxes. And everybody's like, wait a minute. You're just now getting this? This is just now hitting you? Why do you think we hate you? But this is Zacchaeus' life. God is exposing a part that most people knew about him, but Zacchaeus was never confronted with. And in an environment of love, acceptance, compassion, and grace, the heart melts and a person begins to rise 
from the pit that they were in. And they may not have even known that they were in this pit. Because I have cheated people on their taxes. And I will give them back four times as much. Jesus is transforming Zacchaeus from a cheater and a briber and a greedy person into a generous person. And this ushers in Jesus' response, salvation has come to this home today. And if you... <laughs> And if Jesus is talking about himself as salvation, salvation has entered the room. But for salvation to enter your home, you have to invite salvation into your home. For this man, Jesus continues, has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. This conviction, his action revealed that Jesus has changed him. And then this is the powerful verse 10. For the son of man came to seek and save, this translation says, those who are lost. Other translation says, that which was lost. And both are true. Your identity was stolen. Your identity was lost. And God is here to redeem who you are, who I am. And God's grace is what restores our identity, our true identity. Israelites were slaves for 400 years. And those who were um, and, and that's who they were, and that's what they did. All they knew was slavery. All they knew was the taskmasters. All they knew was being ruled by Egyptians. This was their life, generation after generation. And if you read before they entered this place of slavery, it was in their own doing. They weren't just occupied and enslaved. They surrendered their identity as a people in exchange for materialistic things, which allowed Egypt in time to completely take them and make them slaves. A people who were not designed to be slaves have become slaves. God's people, based on the decisions that they have made, God allowed them to enter into slavery and be slaves. And what is crazy is that this whole thing is prophesied before it ever happens, giving them a chance not to step into this. And they're much more stubborn than you and I probably. Because we heed every warning from the Lord. We change course immediately after we think about it and evaluate it. But one day, when they least expected it, God showed up and set them free. They were no longer slaves, but they became beloved sons and daughters of God. And what Adam lost, Jesus came to restore. 
So in him we are righteous, we are redeemed, we become new creation. That has to mean something. It cannot just be words and theology. Can you look at yourself in the mirror and say, I have become a new person. That's the challenge this morning. Romans 5, 17 says, for the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it. Not just hear about it and agree with it, but those who receive it, it will, it will, they will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Verse 18, yes. Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. And verse 19, because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will become righteous. Jesus went beyond your expectation to offer redemption to his creation. We are all creatures of God, but we're not all family. We are not all children of God. But he made it possible for everyone who calls on his name, for anyone who reaches out to him to become part of his family. There is a price to be paid, and it was paid, but we have to enter in. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation, salvation is not a reward for good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone. A new life has begun. Is this true? In our life. Well, we have stepped in to believe that what we do, did, is the thing that defines us. So if Satan can keep us from understanding that we are new in Christ, he will keep us, keep us in the past. Now he'll keep... This lie over you that you're just a sinner saved by grace. And he'll just focus on the sinner part. Instead of saying, no, you are a son and daughter of the living God. You were a sinner. You were saved. But now that you are saved from your sin and from hell and from destruction... And from being separated from God, you are now a child of God, regardless of what you have done or even what you're currently doing. The person who suffers most from not living out these truths is the person who's not living out these truths. And the people around you. And the world that's lost. So everyone is suffering because you're not walking in who you truly are. 
It's not just about you. But God's not going to bypass you because you matter to God. You have value. In Jesus, our identity is not earned. It's already established. So we are not the shame of our past or the accomplishment of our hands. Think about it. How many people live in the past? How many people are arrested because they have not released the past? How many of us live and become who we are based on what we have accomplished, based on the successes that we have achieved, the things in our life, the businesses that we've started, the houses that we live in, the neighborhoods? Too often we let other people and other things define us. And there is a difference. I'm not saying that life and people and the things that we do, I'm not saying that they don't shape us. They shape us, but you should not let them define us. Because you've already been defined. Your identity has already been established. The real question is, have you received it? Or is it just a head knowledge that you agree with? But come Monday morning, you're barely moving. And sometimes we're like, oh, I just, I need to get saved again. I need to have someone pray for me again. Has that worked before? No. There's a huge difference. Someone telling you that God loves you and you experiencing that God loves you. You're stuck not because you need more prayer. You're stuck because you don't know who you are. And you don't know who you are because you don't know your creator. Think it through. Think it through. Do you know Jesus intimately? Are you walking in his presence regularly? Do you know how it feels when the Father lavishes his love on you? If you are looking for love, then you have not received the Father's love. I mean, from your spouse, if you have put your spouse on this stool to do for you to make your life easy or better, then you're saying the Father's love is not enough, and I don't know what it feels like. I don't know, know that Father loves me. I know, know, but I don't know, know. 
the Father loves me. And if Jesus has died to give you and me everything, then why are we still living a life of lack? Because we don't know who we are. We don't know, so we chase drugs, we chase girls, we, we chase our, our groupies, right? Whether it's in our identity, whether it's in sports teams, whether it's in clubs, whether, not disc golf, disc golf is different, but <laughs> golf um, and all sorts of other things. We chase things and we want that to be associated and assigned with who we are because whenever that fails, whenever the person doesn't tell us good job, whenever we don't feel like someone, you know, loved us or they recognized us or they showed value to us, we are depleted and dried up. that church no one loves there but if the love of God is in you then why did not you show your love to those people that you did not find love at why is it someone else's job to give you value why not you be the one to bring and come back and say you are valuable not because I value you because he values you I don't have the authority or the right to assign value to any single person because I did not create you I did not name you but he did and he has given us all tools for us to know him and we neglect him and then we ask people to lay hands on us and pray for us. And we go to church and nothing works. And I tried it. You did not try Jesus if your life is still a mess. You just did not. You gave him a shot. And, until he, and then when he came through, you let him go and continue to do things your way until you hit a brick wall again. And this doesn't mean that you have bad seasons. You will have bad season. Your life will suck. You will have moments where no one is going to want to be around you. You will have tragedies in your life that no one could even comprehend. So we're not immune to life, but we rise above it because we are seated with him who is above all things. Father, we are just stunned by your capacity to love us. Nice. That's the sweet presence of God right now. able to stand please stand some of you are gonna have to you're gonna need to vocalize your need for God you can't just be in your head you have to be like God I need you I don't know what being loved by you truly is Holy Spirit 
through this place. Please don't leave how you came in. Please don't let this be another message that has touched you. Please have Jesus touch you this morning. He knows what you need. He knows where you are. He knows how he's wired you. He knows what kind of destiny he, you, you have. He knows what kind of anointing you need for your life. He knows what you're going through. All of those things are not who you are. God, just whisper, Father, show me who I am. Show me who I am. I invite your love to invade my space. out to him reach out to him reach out to him you have no clue what tomorrow holds no idea what you're going to be faced with you don't know the people that are out there that are needing you to know who you are they don't need another sermon they need a life lived out in a way that triggers them to know there's more to life than what they've experienced worship you this morning we worship you because we are loved we sing because we are valued nothing else matters everything that we do will burn away this life passes like grass withers God I pray that you convict us and you stir us ministry team they're gonna be in the back where we have our communion table and our prayer requests and praise reports sometimes we need a person to walk with us to talk with us to pray with us but that's not your source so we're here to usher and to help you but you have to be the one to take that step you have to be the one to receive Jesus's invitation so that he can come to your house and eat a meal with you you are not what you've experienced you are so much more you are not your accomplishments you are so much more you are not your failures release those things that you're holding on to by choice okay so 
I'm going to just offer a couple of practical things of how we can do this. Just remain standing. Just remain standing. If you need to get prayer, just go ahead and do your thing. But just a couple of really practical things I just want to lay out. One, for you to enter and maybe you're sitting here and figuring out, like, how do I do this? What, what I do? I, I, uh, uh. Right. First thing is that you have to receive the Father's love. Say, Father, I know you love me. I believe you love me. I need to receive this love. That means that you will not need anyone else to love you because his love has to become enough. It doesn't mean that no one else will love you but if they don't, it's irrelevant because his love is enough. And then you have to believe in God's promises. You have to believe what he has spoken over you. And you have to receive those promises. Three, you have to release your burden. You have to let go of your past. You have to let go of the old man. You have to let go of who you used to be and receive the new person that he has already made you. Then you have to face the emptiness that that is going to produce. But you're facing it with God. And then you can practice and begin to walk this out. But I want you to realize that until you receive it, you will never, it will never take root. It will never flourish. You will never taste of his love. And you need to taste it and eat of his love and experience his love. Receive it. And we're here to help you do that. But it's something that you're going to have to do on your own. So maybe that's your prayer today is, Father, I know you love me. Help me to receive your love. Help me to receive the promises that you've spoken over me. Help me to release my burdens. And you just do that over and over and over and rely on him. If you go after him, I promise you, the burdens that you're carrying will begin to lift. Because your identity is going to shift to say, Jesus, you are all that I need. Father, you are my only father. Nothing else in this world matters. You've given me everything I need. And just go after him. Go after him. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you've opened up an opportunity for us here to study your word. To be reminded of the greatness of your love that you have approved us 
that you have affirmed us, that you have accepted us, that you value us. We are your sons and your daughters. You have given us an inheritance that's ours now, not just in the future. Your love can be experienced now. Freedom can be experienced now. The fullness of life could be experienced now. Hmm. One more thing. Just remain standing. You know, and if you can't stand, it's okay, you can sit. Maybe you have not really given your life to Jesus this morning and that's the starting point. He's not going to give you the peace that you're looking for if you have not invited the Prince of Peace into your life. Simply just say, God, I give you my life. I'm broken. I'm messed up. I'm a sinner. I've wronged so many people. I don't know who I am, God, but I give you all of that. Maybe you're very successful, and that's where your identity is. Surrender that too. Surrender your successes. Surrender your future, your plans, your vision. Say, God, take all of it. All of it means nothing if I don't have you. And so I invite you. I give you my life. Take a hold of my life, my thoughts, my mind, my will. I surrender. Wash me in your blood. Receive me. Make me your child. And then you say, thank you. Because the Bible says that if you call on his name, he is faithful. And if you've done this this morning, please let us know and we can help you with your next steps. And for everybody else, let this be a launching point. This is God's not going to do everything he needs to do in our life right now in a few minutes. You're going to have to go home today or tomorrow and be like, God, show up. Show up, God. Show up. Show up, God. I need you to show up. Will you do that? Will you go after him until he shows up? Will you surrender the things that you're typically doing so you can be with him so that he can show up? I'm telling you. I'm telling you. All of the things that you're searching for, everything, practical, spiritual, mysterious, everything that you're searching for is really completely found in Him. In Him. And He is eager to share His inheritance with you, to reveal to you the mysteries of the kingdom, to lead you in the path of righteousness, to lead you in a life of freedom like you've never known it before. And to embolden you and empower you to offer the same life to people around you.